Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast in my home is my friend Susan Sidaway. Welcome to the podcast, Susan. Thank you, Richard. Um, sometimes we have kind of famous people on the podcast, but most of the time we have rank-and-file Latter-day Saints that have really powerful stories to share. And they might be a little nervous because they've never been on a podcast before, but often they do such an incredible job sharing their family story. And that's maybe a little bit how Susan feels right now. We um, started with prayer and Susan and her husband are active Latter-day Saints. They're in their 60s. They have six children. um, And they're going to talk about parenting children where some have left the church. That's probably not what they hoped would happen when they're raising younger kids, but it's the reality of their life. And and Susan's been walking this road for about 15 years, and this might be helpful for some of you parents that are new to this road that have a child that has stepped away from the church, and that can be lonely. You can be full of self-doubt and wondering what you should have done differently. You can be wondering how to find hope and peace and how this works for your eternal family. Um, Susan also has a story within a story with her daughter, Holly who died in 2019. And Holly, I kind of hope you're aware of this podcast. Holly was not active in the church, worked through addiction, and and Susan, in this beautiful obituary that she'll reference, I think saw Holly the way our heavenly parents saw Holly and saw the good that she did in this world. And I love the way you've seen your children. So this might be helpful for just members in general, but Elder Holland and Sister Holland gave a YSA devotional in early January of 2023, and so much of their devotional was about finding peace and hope. And I love those words, and sometimes that's hard to do, to find those if you have adult children that have left the church. And I think this is one of the podcasts that sort of a practical application of Elder and Sister Holland's, um, how do you do this in real life in your home? with gospel-based principles. So um, you have six kids, and I think one that's gone, Holly, you have 13 grandkids, and you live in Utah County. We do. Yeah, we do. Uh huh. And so I'm going to get you to scoot up a little bit more to that mic, and now it's less, I'm just going to kind of get Susan to share her story. So I'll let you start wherever you want to start. Okay. Well, maybe I could just tell you that um, our five living children are just wonderful wonderful people. They're all grown adults now, and they're doing wonderful things with their life, and they've taught me so much over the years. And also, I um, taught seminary for over 10 years in Utah County and just loved that and saw so much of kids who um, were struggling, had questions, had home lives that that we don't always know, you know, everything on the outside looks like it's going well. And for me to have had some of these experiences with my own kids was a real benefit as I taught, as I taught them and and really loved that age group. And when you talked about Holly, um, I just, maybe I could help your listeners know that at the time of her passing, I had some ideas and thoughts come to me and weeks after in a way that they never had before. And I felt like my mind was just kind of lighting up with an understanding of what this journey of hers had been like on earth and also others who kind of choose a different path. So maybe let me tell you a little bit about Holly. Um, She was fun. She was outgoing. She loved people. She 
even from a young age, she could talk to adults just about anything. She had a quirky sense of humor. She was musical and smart. And for much of her life, she loved the church and she loved Jesus. She was really a straight arrow for um, many years until she was a young adult. Um, In fact, she had a chance when she was 18 to go to Germany and to nanny for six months. And her older sisters had done that um, and each had a really good experience. Every time the six months were up, the German family would say, hey, do you have another daughter? Send another daughter over. So (laughs) that was kind of fun. But on the long weekends, she would get to travel to a lot of European cities and countries. And I don't know if you remember the pass along cards that the church used to have. This was in 2004. And she was not hesitant at all as an 18-year-old to put those in her bag and just gave them to anyone she saw. And if they had questions about the church or wanted to talk to her a long time about a certain doctrine or aspect or even the missionaries, um, that's how invested she was in the church back then. And when she came home, she told me that she had had some struggles and kind of told me what some of them were. But she said, I talked to my branch president and everything's, you know, okay. But after her second year of college, I could tell some things were changing. Her, I knew she wasn't going to church. Her language was different. Um, and she was really critical of the leaders of the church. Um, and as things progressed, I, I could kind of find out why. And as I tried to talk to her about things, um, you know, we'd always been really close and had a good relationship, but I could tell she wasn't opening up. And I, I'm sorry to say, Richard, I don't think she felt safe because of my husband and I just being so invested in the gospel. She knew I would always defend the church. You know, I sometimes just, just not open to anything else, but what our leader said, um, I'm not that way now. I, I think and consider, but back then, if a church leader said that. That's just that's just how it was. So I think I didn't make our home a safe enough place for her. But that summer, she'd gone to Salt Lake to work, and she called me one day. I still remember I was in the store in the cereal aisle, and I get this call from her, and she says, Mom, I have just met someone that I just really care about, and she is so good to me, and we've been dating, and I'm going to live with her when I go back to college. And I was hearing these pronouns, she and her, and I was just kind of in shock. And then she said, and mom, I, I'm so happy. I just know I'm gay. And so this was in 2007. And back then, um, that's when Prop 8 was starting to make headlines and the church was heavily backing that. My husband and I had, we were um, in college in the 70s when we heard church leaders They didn't even call it gay back then. It was just homosexuality, and anyone who lived it was evil. That's just the terminology, you know, that was used. And so I had all of this kind of going in my head, my husband and I did. But I also had these kind of mixed emotions because I had two male cousins who were um, both my age. And in the early 80s, they both came out as gay. And I knew they weren't evil. I had grown up with them. They were, in fact... uh, probably more loving and kind than most men I knew. They just were good people. But I can't say that I understood anything about the gay attraction. I just I just hadn't had any exposure to it. So I, I wasn't mad. I wasn't sad. I was just kind of in shock. But over the next couple of months, as we were trying to process all of this, and Holly and her partner had gone to school a few um, 
hours away from us and they were busy working, so we didn't see them a lot. But one uh, day she called and said, Mom, I've got to come home and I'd really like you to meet my partner. And I didn't say no, but I kind of changed the subject and was just like, you know, I didn't know what to say. And part of the reason was that our son, who was 15 at the time, he's our last child, he had stopped going to church and said he didn't believe anymore. So I was thinking, well, if I have her and her partner home, what does that say about how I feel about what our leaders are saying, you know? And Richard, I have listened to so many of your podcasts with parents of LGBTQ kids. And I've just heard how supportive and loving they are. And I regret to say I wasn't there. (laughs) That's just not where I was back then. I loved my daughter, but I just thought this lifestyle just wasn't a good thing. And so um, my my husband, my son, was kind of getting the gist of this conversation on the phone because he was in the room. After I hung up, he said, Mom, if Holly was living with a guy, would you let would that be okay if she brought him home? And i like, well, yeah. And he goes, well, what's the difference? And I said, I don't think there is a difference. I just am having a hard time wrapping my head around all this. Well, that next Sunday, it was our state conference. And Marlon um, Jensen was the visiting authority. And I don't know if you remember him. He's emeritus now. But he used to um, be at the first quorum of the seventy. And when he spoke, um, even in conference, I just remember him. He just kind of seemed to emanate love and understanding. And that's how it was that day. And his message had a really profound effect on me. He um, talked so much about how we needed to love all of God's children, no matter what they were doing, and that we're not called to judge, but just to love. And he said, you know, so many times our actions and our words are so judgmental, it just adds to their pain. And God knows their stories. No, we don't need to. We just are asked to love. And I was in a congregation of hundreds of people, but kind of felt like he was just looking right at me and about the story with Holly. So I did something I've never done. I went home and wrote a letter to a general authority. <laughs> wow. And I said to Elder Jensen, um, I told him how his words had affected me and the situation with my daughter and how I was worried about my son. And But I said, I know you're super busy. You probably get letters like this all the time. And if so, if you can't answer me, it's okay. But, you know, it wasn't even a, a week before I had a letter in my mailbox from church headquarters, and it was from him. And, Richard, I have to tell you, it was the most personal letter. It wasn't any kind of form letter. It wasn't calling my daughter to repentance. It was just full of understanding. And he said, among other things, he said, um, I can't think of any reason to ball why you wouldn't want to have your daughter and her partner in your home. Because if the more that they're around you, the more they'll feel your love. And that's a good thing, right? (laughs) And they'll feel God's love through you. And that's also a good thing for your son to see. And I thought, well, of course, of course, this this is what I should be doing. And it wasn't like I needed his permission. It was just, I think I needed to hear truth. And that's what his words were telling me. So a couple of weeks later, she calls again and needs to come and get some stuff from home. And I think she just thought, I'll be brave and ask my mom again, you know, is it okay to bring my partner home? And I said, oh, we would love to meet her for sure. Bring her home. And those words were sincere, but 
um, I kind of wondered what that would look like, if it would be awkward and weird. But when they both came through the door, I gave Holly a hug. And then I just felt myself go right over to her partner. And I just gave her the biggest hug. And I felt myself get really emotional. And I started to cry. And I said, you must be a really wonderful person for Holly to care so much about you. And I said, but this is all really new to me. And I don't understand it. And I hope you can be patient with me. And then she started to cry and she said, I know this must be hard. <laughs> she, was, she was really a sweet, sweet woman. And so we had a great time together that night. And because of their schooling and work, we didn't see them a lot. And the, um, they were only together about three or four years. And then Holly was mostly with men and um, kind of identified as, as bisexual. But I've often, before Holly died, I often asked her about this woman. And how she was doing, because I just hope she did really feel like we cared about her, you know, and, and I, hope she, I hope she had a good life. Um, one time I met up with Holly, and um, I noticed that she had a new tattoo. She had several others, but this was kind of a big one, you know, kind of on her shoulder and down her arm. And it was a beautiful design. It had flowers and roses. And in the middle of it, though, it had, in quite large letters, her grandma's name. And her name was Eleanor, and it was my husband's mom, who had died a few years ago. And I asked her, I said, um, you know, how come you had grandma's name put on your tattoo? And she, she looked at me, and very seriously, she said, um, because mom, I wanted to see her name every day to remind me that she would love me no matter what I did. And my first thought was, well, I love you, you know, no matter what you do. But I realized something I had been doing, Richard, and I wonder if other parents do this too, is sometimes when we disapprove of our children's choices, um, we remove some of our kindness from them, and they mistake that kindness for love. And that's what they need more than ever is kindness. You know, we don't have to approve, right? We don't have to think everything they do is great, but they need to feel that loving kindness. And about that time, I... Um, came across something that Joseph Worthlin has said. Do you remember Elder Worthlin? Yes. Yeah. Wasn't he just full of that kind of love and grace too? And he said, if only we could have more compassion for people who are different than us, it would just, you know, help so much of the sorrow in the world. And then this, this line really caught me. He said, um, especially in our families and in the church, it would be such a more heavenly place if we did. Isn't that amazing to think about? And he said, all of the congregation he was speaking to, he said, I know all of you bear a burden for a loved one. And he said, but will you please be kind to them? Will you please love them? In some cases, they'll come back and some they won't. But in all cases, you know, we have to remember who we represent. It's Jesus. And that's something I noticed I wasn't doing. Um, you know, I always felt like I was a really dedicated follower of Christ, but if I was removing kindness from my daughter, then I kind of needed to reevaluate how things were going. So are you okay if I just keep going? Please, I think our <laughs> listeners want you to keep going. Okay. Um, so some of the years after, life got hard for her because of some of the choices and decisions she was making, and she 
would often turn to alcohol and substances to help deal with the pains of life. And it was heartbreaking to see because um, it was having a devastating effect on her health and on just her life in general. She only had a semester left before she was to graduate with a degree in political science and then go on to law school. And she never finished because addictions do devastating things and they can rob you of some hopes and dreams. And, and they did for Holly. And after she left school, she mostly worked in bars and she was really good at it. She was, I think I visited her in so many bars. I told my husband once, oh, we're getting so good. We don't even care if people see us. We're just in and out of bars seeing our daughter, <laughs> which was a good thing. It's a good thing. And uh, I noticed she just was, she was a hard worker. She was happy. She um, really cared about the people who came and even a couple of Salt Lake magazines did write-ups on her because she just was so popular with the customers. But she'd sometimes tell me about the experiences there in the bar and especially the people who came night after night. They had a lot of heartache. And uh, she was really good at listening. She's also good at giving her money away. She usually had hardly any money because if people needed money for rent or for food, she wanted to help them out. Or if they needed you know, they didn't have any jobs. Um, she'd kind of give them, you know, some ideas of where they might, could look. And, um, but I think mostly she just gave them hope that life could get better. You know, don't give up. It, life can get better. And one of her um, regular customers was a young man. And he was in a really bad accident. And she helped organize a, a major fundraiser to... Um, because the accident left him a paraplegic to renovate his home so that it could be wheelchair accessible. And, you know, I was proud of her when she would kind of share some of these things with me. But in my judgmental way, I think, well, you know, if they weren't drinking so much, you wouldn't have to give them money. Or if they didn't have all these addictions, they wouldn't have all these problems. But there was something that I, I just wasn't getting. And, and I didn't get it until after she died. And the day she died, and for a few days after, um, my daughters um, came and said to me, Mom, have you, have you looked at Holly's Facebook page? And I, you know, I hadn't. I was still in a lot of grief and planning a funeral and everything. But as I went to it, I um, was just really taken back by, there was a way over 50 posts, and they all talked so much about her light, about... Um, how she was their truest friend, how she just had a beautiful soul. And sometimes she was the only light in their dark world. Those, those are the words that, you know, they used. And after the dedication of her grave, we'd ask the church leader um, to tell the congregation we were outside, um, that the family requested that we just have this time together now. You know, we just wanted to be together and grieve and celebrate and her life. And most people left, but almost all of her friends from Salt Lake stayed. And, and there was a bunch of them, a bunch. <laughs> and uh, they started lining up to talk to me. And they all said the same thing. I'm so sorry to bother you. I know you just want to be with your family. But I couldn't leave without telling you what Holly's done for me. And then they went on to say, you know, she never judged. She listened for hours. One woman said, I was in a really bad car accident a few years ago, and Holly 
let me stay with her because I had nowhere to go. And then she paid all my medical bills. And Richard, these stories were overwhelming to me because most of the time I just saw her in this really dark place where there was no good. And now I saw that um, the Lord was using her light and goodness to bless other people in a circle and sphere that only she could only she could help. And that it doesn't matter why we're injured or hurting, if it's of our own making or not. Jesus cares and he wants somebody to help. And we don't wait till they deserve it. Because they deserve it because they're a child of God, right? And that's how God, um, that's how he helps all of us. None of us deserve it or have earned it. I um, read something by a Catholic monk. His name was Thomas Merton, and he says this so much better than me. He said, our job isn't to stop and inquire whether someone's worthy of our love. We're just asked to love, and by rendering that love, it makes our neighbor and ourselves worthy. And I think that's what it did for Holly and her friends, that they were worthy before God. Other people would look at their lifestyle and what they were doing and think, you know, they were in total opposition of God. But I think God was saying, nope, you know what? I'm okay with you and that you are loving and caring for each other. And that's, that's what I care about. Um, I received a letter from one of my brothers. It was just a beautiful letter after she died. Uh, he's a state president in Georgia. And he kind of prefaced his letter by saying, now you won't find this in the handbook. And this is an official doctrine, but here's some thoughts that I want to share with you. So is it okay if I share some of those? He said, how does someone like Holly and others like her, weighed down by their own problems and addictions, have the strength to repeatedly relieve the burdens of others? People who we sometimes believe are encompassed by darkness are actually a light for others. And those who we believe are lost are actually a guide to help others on their way. These people relieve stress they bring comfort and peace to a person every bit as much as a bishop or a Relief Society president. I don't know. I think that might be official doctrine. What do you think? I love that. <laughs> and I think it has to be because in Moroni, it tells us that anything that invites us to do good is of God. And I just thought of all of uh, the members of the church, our families included, who have kids who've stepped away. They're probably in environments doing so much good that we're not aware of. And they're in places that you and I aren't. And I just think the way to recognize just the incredible good things that they're doing and to look for that. About 18 months before Holly died, she found out she's pregnant. And um, she knew that she was not in a position to take care of a, a baby which was, again, heartbreaking and so sad for us because uh, all she ever wanted to do was be a mom and have a family. So she decided to place her little girl for adoption, and she felt really strong about a gay couple adopting. So she reached out to a family member who was in that community, and they put her in connection with two married women who wanted to start a family. And... um, it was quite amazing how all this came to be because she didn't even make this decision until she was seven months pregnant. And they were from out of state. And everything just seemed to fall in place. The day that she delivered, we were all there 
in the hospital with her, her four sisters and me and these two lovely women. And uh, these women, um, they knew we were LDS. We'd never met them before. They knew the church's position on gay marriage, also their position on um, the children of gay couples. The policy hadn't been reversed by then, and they could not have been more gracious and loving towards us. After she delivered, I stepped out of the room for a minute, and one of the delivery nurses came and said, you know, I've been involved in several of these uh, adoption deliveries, and a lot of the times it's just a really tense and awkward thing because the adoptive family's over here and the birth family's is over here and they're so sad about giving the baby up. And she said, it's not a good thing. But she said, today, all I felt was love from all of you. And I, I credit that to Holly again. She loved her little girl. She loved this sweet couple and she loved all of us. And what could have been just such a, a really traumatic experience, even though it was still hard. I don't want to act like it wasn't hard. It just turned out so well. And these two women have just been a blessing in our life, and they are just very welcoming. We are, we get to see our granddaughter as much as we want. Before Holly died, she died a, a year after she gave birth, and they were so good to her in FaceTiming and letting her see the baby, and they were concerned about her, our daughter's health. They knew of her addictions, and they just, oh, I, I can't tell you just what wonderful, wonderful women they are. Um, I did a lot of praying and reflecting after she died, and I read and reread section 138 in the Doctrine and Covenants over and over again, uh, Joseph F. Smith's vision of the redemption of the dead. And I kept thinking about those two places, uh, paradise and spirit prison, and where was my, where was my holly? <laughs> Because I thought, you know, her heart is so good and pure. And yet she had rejected the church. And she hadn't had certain ordinances done. But then that's when a, some more light came to me. And I thought, could there be a lot more crossover in those two places than what we think? Holly's was so strong at generosity and unconditional love and seeing the good in others. Maybe she's helping some who always went to church and paid their tithing and attended the temple, but their hearts weren't always right concerning other people and the way they treated them. And maybe they're helping Holly to um, understand things that were so hard for her in this life. So I don't know. M maybe it's that way. Maybe it's not. But I think maybe it might be. <laughs> and uh, since her passing, I've just been really drawn to statements and thoughts by religious leaders inside and outside of the church. And two BYU-Idaho professors, I don't know if you've heard of Eric and Sarah Dievigny. No. Yeah, they have done some really wonderful work. They um, have collected stories from people who have left the church. Some have returned. And then they've written up about what they've learned from reading all these stories. And Eric said, you know, um, I just can't get upset when somebody chooses a different way than me. Because I know what my job is, and it's just to love and to help them see God's love through me. Kind of what Elder Jensen 
had told me. And Sarah, I loved what Sarah said. She said that um, after reading these stories, she realized we have two things that are eternal, time and love. And she said, we have an unlimited supply of those. And so she said, because of that, you know, we, the Lord can help us learn how to love better the people who are in the process. Because she said, we're all in that process, right? We're all in that beautiful, continually changing boat of faith together. And I just really love thinking about um, that thought about eternal time and eternal love. I think some of us, when we go um, to church and in our classes, we can hear comments or opinions that are hurtful and judgmental and unkind. And sometimes I think some of us are thinking, wow, you're, t- you're talking about my son or my husband or my sister. And I would just like to encourage people, Richard, that if they've had experiences like some of us, that when those things are said, that maybe we just raise our hand and say, well, and kindly say it, but, you know, in my experience or another viewpoint, or to maybe we could consider, because I think that's what you do with your podcasts. You expand our thinking by having all your guests on, that things aren't always maybe how we seem or they aren't always the way we've experienced it. And so I just I just would love to encourage people to do that if they felt like they could. I think it would really benefit our wards and our church community because I don't think people intend to be unkind, but that's their point of reference. They don't know any different. That's just how they've experienced life. And I, I think that's kind of how we help each other, you know, to, to understand that. I still feel her influence today. I was, a few months ago, I was in a drive up of a fast food restaurant, and I don't do this very often, but I thought, I think I'll just pay for the car behind me, you know? So I looked in the rearview mirror and I saw a minivan full of mom and kids. (laughs) And then I thought, oh, maybe I'll pay another day. (laughs) And as soon as that thought came to my head, I just could hear Holly's voice in my mind. Oh, mom, come on, be generous. You'll be happy you did. You know, this This will be a fun thing for you to do. And after I had told the person at the window what I wanted to do, and before I drove off, I looked in the rearview mirror one more time, and it was a high school friend of hers that was driving that I hadn't seen for years. Wow. Yeah. And it was, I just thought, oh, I just really appreciate um, having her just really that that heart that's so open to love and to give. I feel like I've been doing so much talking. (laughs) Uh, Maybe just kind of in closing, I could just tell you of one other uh, church leader that's had a real effect on me, and that's been Richard Scott. He's again uh, an apostle who's passed on. And you know, I don't know the backgrounds of Elder Jensen or Elder Worthland or Elder Scott, but just because of the way they spoke and approached the church members, I think they must have had someone in their family who chose a different way or maybe stepped away from the church because their compassion and their understanding, you can just, you can just tell. So he was speaking once about not only how important it was to love 
those who've chosen a different way, but to trust them. He said, the children of Heavenly Father can do amazing things when they feel trusted. And he said, all of God's children in mortality chose the Savior's plan. Trust that given the right opportunity, they'll choose him again. And I believe Holly did. I think she chose Jesus again. Her patriarchal blessing talked about um, in the pre-mortal world that she was um, instrumental in helping people choose Jesus. Those who were kind of, you know, on the fence trying to decide. That's what her patriarch told her. And and I kind of feel like that that's, that's what she's done. And I don't know, Richard, I just feel like um, we have love and time on our side and that our families and our kids are going to be okay. Things are going to work out. This is just sacred ground, listeners, when someone like Susan bravely shares her story. And um, I've had tears in my eyes several times if you've spoken, Susan. And these are some of the things that I wrote down, and our listeners may have wrote down the same things or completely different things, but I love Elder Jensen. I've always loved Elder Jensen, and I've had some chance to have some interaction with him. And I love the, the word you used, that what he taught you was truth. He didn't make up stuff in our doctrine to give you permission to love your daughter and her female friend in that same-sex relationship. But he just gave you principles of truth that allowed you to do what you probably wanted to do. I didn't quite know how to navigate that. Um, and I just love that experience. I love this line about, um, here's your daughter working through addiction. And you said, we don't wait until they deserve it. What a powerful principle of love. I've certainly been guilty of that as I'm thinking about withholding from people that I sort of say, well, it's your job to sort of get back to square one and then I'll support you and love you and welcome you back. And I think of Jesus and the way he treated everybody and he never seemed to have done that. You know, he just loved people where they are. Yeah. Now, if there's a toxic relationship or somebody, there's some boundaries here, but it doesn't sound like any of that occurred in your situation. No, no, that wasn't the case. And so we recognize some people get addicted and parents need to make boundaries because there's activities, maybe even criminal activities right. occurring in the home. But I love that. I love your words. There's two things that are eternally unlimited. I don't think you quite said it that way, but you said it really well. Time and love. What a powerful concept, Susan. Yeah, well, and that was Sarah's words, but those were the ones that touched me. And From BYU, yes, Idaho. Yes, BYU, Idaho. I think almost anything can be fixed if we have eternal time and love. <laughs> I love this obituary that I'm looking at, her picture, and this is just a tremendous honor. Tell us, you told me before we went live, but tell me a little bit about writing this obituary, and maybe you could just read the last... I was so touched by just this last paragraph. Um, well, maybe I could just say that um, when I sat down to write this and any parent who goes to write their child's obituary, it's a really emotional experience. And especially someone who um, 
died the way that she did, you just don't want people to remember her that way because she was, and I hope everyone knows this, people are so much more than their addiction, so much more than their addiction. In fact, when I would um, teach seminary after she died, I'd often put up her picture towards the end, especially if we were talking about judgment or loving people. And I'd tell the students a little bit about her story. And the reason I wanted to is because I knew there were kids in that class who had parents or brothers or friends who were addicts. And I wanted them to know that I knew that their loved one was so much more than that. And inevitably, every time after class, there would be a note left or someone would come up and talk to me and say, thank you. My dad is a really good guy. Um, you know, he's got this really hard thing, but people just see him as an addict or my brother, you know, or my sister. And so that's, I felt like the words when I wrote this obituary were just kind of given to me, um, just kind of straight from heaven. But the last paragraph just said, in memory of Holly, please open up your heart to those around you. Forgive, really listen, give hugs and look for the good. And she really does continue to in, inspire me today. And uh, I had a, a sweet visit from some young women in our ward after she died. Their advisors um, were kind of touched like you, Richard, by the obituary, and they'd read it in their young women class. And they challenged the girls that week to do one of those things that Holly, that I had suggested that, that Holly, Holly always did. And so they came to my home and each one of them told me what they had done that week in memory of Holly um, that had one of those loving attributes. And that's a really sweet memory I, I have. I, I love that young woman leader for, for doing that. <laughs> you know, I don't know. If, I somehow think Holly's aware that you bought food for that person behind you. That's her high school friend <laughs> that, that she's written that she's read that obituary. Um, you're talking about her on this podcast, but there is no shame when you talk about Holly. There isn't, no. You haven't been embarrassed by her. You haven't wanted to distance yourself from her. You haven't wanted to not talk about the reality of her life. And I think that's incredibly healing for Holly to know that's the way you feel about her and that your love for her is complete and not in spite it's just it's a beautiful love story and yes she's on the other side but i just have to believe she's aware of the way you talk about her and, and she needs to be healed and, and for the most moms and kids have this incredible bond but i just have to think you were one of the most or the most important mortal person in her life being her birth mom and her mom and how healing that is for her and i use that listeners to share how important our relationship as parents is with our kids and i love this young woman's leader here's somebody who's died from addiction out of the church and the and the non-shame that creates is we're going to talk about holly she is one of heavenly our heavenly parents daughters we're going to talk about her life in a positive way not as a example of a negative thing but in a positive way yeah just like you're doing what a thoughtful thing and then what, I had huge tears in my eyes being in the 
What's it called? The delivery room? Oh. <laughs> Is that what the word we use? Yeah. It's been so long since I've been there. I don't know. That's what I call it. <laughs> I'm calling it that, listeners. Um, and that nurse walking in. I mean, can you imagine if when on your, I think your husband's name, Frank, when you guys got married and started your family, that you would one day be your unmarried daughter giving her baby up for adoption to a, a couple in a same-sex marriage. And how do you prepare for that? But what a beautiful experience it is. And the thing that's so tender for me is you have a relationship with your granddaughter, I believe. Yes, yes. And and, and also, her parents. Yes, and they, I just can't tell you what loving, loving women they are. They're just so good to us and in every way, yeah. And to me, you just followed what Elder Jensen taught and what, our leaders have taught and what Christ taught. And it's a practical application of doing that. But then the fruit of that, and you kind of have to have a party that's equally willing to move a little bit. You have a relationship with these two women and your granddaughter. And what what wonderful fruit of the decisions you've all made in really difficult situations. I don't know if you got any more thoughts on that. Oh, I I don't know. I, uh, I just really appreciate being able to share it. Thank you, Richard. And just hope that parents throughout the church and throughout the world just cherish their children and look for the good and just know that things work out. That Heavenly Father and the Savior's plan is that, you know, that we come back as families and and we'll make every way possible for that to happen. And some of it some of that will continue to happen on the other side, just like it is for Holly. So, And I recognize addiction comes to good people. And I, reckon, I love the way you separated Holly's heart from addiction. And sometimes people, t- and I love even the vocabulary used to deal with the pains of life. I think you use kind of a phrase like that that creates understanding and empathy. It doesn't make um, the All Living Church teachings okay. I think you've connected some dots there that a lot of pain was in Holly's life. Right. And people that have pain sometimes turn to numbing things to deal with the pain that can lead to addictions. So, and when you look at it that way, it doesn't change church teachings, but it creates empathy and, and understanding and support and compassion. And, and then you say, you know, I'm not going to wait until they deserve it because you realize they deserve it now because their core is still really good. Talk about other parents. I, I don't know how you got this is a spontaneous question, listeners, but there's probably active LDS parents that feel like they've, they've done something wrong. And if they'd done something different, that all their kids or this current kid or whoever they're thinking about would be active in the church. And I think women do this a little bit more than men, maybe, maybe not. Well, they sort of turn inward and self-reflect. And then, then we all have shortcomings. They sort of maybe even highlight their shortcomings and say, this is all my fault. If only I had done this or this. And they may even go to church and look at a family that seems to have parented their kids the same way. And all their kids are married in the temple yeah. and gone missions. And you're at church with, you know, with a different story, including a daughter who's died to parents about how you've navigated that to feel peace with who you are and your and just 
answer that question the best way you can. <laughs> well, it does take some time and hopefully maybe some other parents will be more quick studies than us, but I do think some of it just takes time to work through it. And everything you described is what my husband and I went through. He's been a bishop twice. We've both been in lots of leadership positions. We, you know, tried to raise our children um, in the church and tried to do what we were kind of promised, right? But we used to hear, if you do all this, <laughs> then the children will choose this path. But um, I'll tell you, Richard, except for the pain it's caused my daughter, I don't think I'd change anything because of what I needed to learn. I, and maybe if parents can look at it in that way, that there's, there is a lot of good to learn. And that um, I think, I don't think I mentioned this, but I don't, you know, how would we really even learn to be like Jesus if we didn't have some of these experiences in our life? How would we ever really learn that kind of compassion and understanding? And um, I just even wonder sometimes if some of our kids didn't even, for lack of a better word, sign up for some of this to help us, like I said before, gain what we needed to learn. And it's, it is hard, especially when we look at others and especially when we think that's how it's supposed to look. <laughs> That's the thing. We all have this picture in our mind that this is how it's supposed to look. But the, the Lord always planned, I think, knowing our personalities and our life's experiences that our faith journeys would look different. And we can't expect our children not to um, have a similar thing happen. I remember one of my older daughters when she was really struggling with the church and I was, you know, trying to give every reason of why she should stay or whatever and convince her. And she looked at me very seriously and she said, mom, I'm 35 years old. Do you think I haven't given serious thought to this? And I was treating her like a 12 year old. You know, I wasn't respecting her as an adult who is looking at things from a different perspective and uh, has every right to have this journey be the way it needs to be for her. And I, I feel like the Lord totally understands all of that. I just really do. That was a great answer. I thought you could handle that question. This may be the same question, but if it responds, any, if any different thoughts come in your mind, I'm thinking of the parents going to church right now, and um, everybody probably thinks everything's fine at home for them, <laughs> and they're, and they, it's not. <laughs> And they don't quite know what to do with that. Um, church then can become hard because they can't be honest. The kid is sick. They can be a little more honest. And we have a community of support. Right. But, and it's kind of their kid's story to tell. You even said this before we went live. It's I'm not sure I even should share this story because it's my kid who's not participating in the church story. But it's really hard for me. And I could use the community support the way we sometimes are able to mourn, bear, and comfort. And I just don't know how to navigate this. And that's a complex question. I don't know if you've got any advice for or how you helped yourself or advice for other parents. Well, you know, what did help me was um, when, and back then, those um, 15 years ago, there weren't too many who were willing to be vulnerable, but there were some in our ward or in my circle who, who let me know that their life wasn't perfect and let me know some of the things of the challenges that they had. And so, and I know people are private. My husband's a very private person. And so you want to respect that. But if you do feel like that, you can share when it's appropriate. And again, you don't want to 
share things if you think it's not, your children wouldn't appreciate it. But if you can just share struggles and let people see your vulnerability, I think it just um, is how we feel safe with each other and how we can feel like we're not alone. And uh, again, I, that's what the, the Bridges Facebook group does for me, you know? So I don't know if that's a very good answer. It's a great answer. <laughs> vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And, you know, when Elder Holland opened up about his own working through mental health issues, my love for him only increased. But I somehow feel like if I got on an elevator with Elder Holland and, you know, I've been honest about my emotional health at times that I would feel comfortable talking about that because he's been open. Right. Or even other sort of parallel challenges just because he's willing to be vulnerable. So I think that's a gift of the spirit and maybe something that can be improved in our culture because um, vulnerability brings authentic connection. And that's certainly, and so that's good. Um Listeners, in the show notes, we'll reference this Facebook group. Um, um, Geraldine Renshaw, who we talked about earlier, and you told me how important her story's been to you. And my brother, David Osler, started a Facebook group. There's a podcast with both of them talking about it. But more importantly, you could listen to the podcast, but we'll link to the Facebook group. Because it is a group of parents, active LDS parents that have kids that are on different paths. And there's about 2,000 in the group, and that's where I first, um, I'm in the group, and that's when I, you bravely shared some of your story. You started out, hello, fellow travelers. I'm new to this group, but not new to this journey, and that's, I just thought, you've been on this road so long, and I really would love you to be on the podcast, and you've done such a good job, but parents, it's just a, you don't have to post there. Susan did post there a little bit about her story. It's a closed Facebook group, so people aren't sharing those outside the Facebook group, but you could join and just read stories if you want to. So you don't feel like you're alone and the principles, the perspective, the talks like you've done that give people peace. So it's a really terrific group. If you're walking this road or if you're a local leader and are working to help other parents and looking for resources, be a great resource to suggest to them. Talk about, I'm going back to you and Frank just getting married and your hopes for your family and <laughs> You probably, we talk about no empty seats at the table and we're going to have our eternal family together and there's going to be no empty chairs. And how do you continue to have hope there won't be empty chairs, even though, you know, you have kids in different places that aren't fully participating in the church? I, I think I just often go back to how much I love my children. And if I love my kids so much and would do anything for them, how much does our heavenly parents love all of us. There just has to be a way made that things that things will work out. And then I feel like I'm sounding redundant, but just to seize all of the joy and the good that's in our kids and families now, because there is so much. We just have such a great time with our children and grandchildren. They bring us so much joy. And they're, they're very respectful of Frank and I, even when they feel differently. And uh, I think that's it. It's just not and it's hard to say this at first, but just it is a grieving process. You do mourn what you thought it would look like, but what we have now might even be better than what we thought it would look like because we know um, people who have all of their children who um, are married in the temple or and everything, but they still have problems. Some of them don't get along. Some of them, you know, there's, there's always issues, right? And so maybe we just could... Um, 
just find the joy and the happiness, even with the things that are different than what we thought they'd be. That's a great answer. I love the, I love um, the sort of the steps. I'm not a therapist, but you mentioned them. I think it's grief and then acceptance or maybe anger in there too. And, and you're at this place of deep acceptance. And I think back to Elder Holland's YSA devotional peace. And I think I assume the savior in prayer and you're a temple worker yeah, yeah. and the atonement. We talk a lot about the atonement, at least for me growing up is it takes away sin. There's no sin involved in your part here, but there's the atonement to, to bring peace and to heal hearts. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that and just the role of the savior in your life to bring peace and hope. Well, you know, um, whenever, because most of the time I do feel fine, but every now and again, you know, you, it's like you get in church and you hear all this. And so you get a little hyperventilated and think, <laughs> oh gosh, are, are we really going to be okay? And I tell you, Richard, I get this thought in my mind often where the Lord says, you are a lot more worried about this than I am. I, I get that quite often. And so it just kind of settles me down again. And I just can en- enjoy what I have. And I have, I just feel like I have so much good to enjoy with my kids and, and their families. Love that. Listeners, we've done some other episodes. If you're new to this podcast, um, you can go to listenlearnandlove.org. Listen, and there's a tab across the top that says podcasts. You know, there's 600 podcasts, so they're categorized. But there's a group of podcasts of LDS parents with LGBTQ kids. And you have one of those with Holly. And it's just... It's a sister podcast to what Susan shared with us, but each podcast a little different nuggets. Um, Autumn McLaughlin in episode 595, um, Phil and Joni Broderick in 589, Cher Alstrom, who's got a mom of two gay sons that aren't participating in the church, 581, um, Anne Easton and her gay son, Malcolm. Malcolm doesn't participate in the church. They both came on the podcast together and and so I won't read all of those. We'd be reading forever. Ashley Smith, 535, um, talked about loving your gay son, was part of an LDS Living article. Um, I'm going to give it back to Susan, but in the show notes, we'll link to the Facebook group. And I just think this is a beautiful family love story. I think this is, I think of the Apollo 13 quote a lot where Gene Kratz says, excuse me, sir, I think this is our finest moment. So what could the most difficult moment. Obviously, I don't want to minimize the reality of losing and bearing a daughter, but in some ways, I think this is the Sidway's finest family moment, that you're a family and that there's love and support. And Elder Cook talks about unity and diversity, and there's obviously diversity in LDS families as we age up, And but you seem to have kept unity in the principle of love and support and communication and space for differences. And this podcast helps others do that. This is a tribute to Holly, your daughter, who's gone. She'd be in her late 30s now if she were alive. She would. Yeah. Her birthday is two days before Christmas, and uh, she would have been 37. Uh huh. But, you know, this is a tribute to Holly. And it's a tribute to your understanding of the plan of salvation. I think as Latter-day Saints, we should have the best framework to process family, difficult earthly things, because we have this concept, and you mentioned the pre-earth life and a post-earth life, you mentioned that, and Joseph F. Smith and DNC 138, I think you mentioned that, but that gives us tools, I think, 
to just be at peace in the middle act of this three-act play, as Elder Packer talks about, and just be at peace and think of the things we can control and let go of the things we can't control, which is a lot when our kids get to be adults. And just be at peace and leave this at the Savior's feet. And just like you've taught, these are Heavenly Parents' kids first. So, I mean, I'll have you just say any final words, but so go ahead and then I'll just, we'll both just sign off. If oh, there's anything else that comes to your mind. Uh, I'm, I just was so glad to share um, the story about a remarkable woman who just touched so many lives, even. And I think all of us are like this, even with all of our weaknesses or the things that are hard, we also have such an impact on each other. So thanks, Richard. So thank you, the Sitaway family. I feel like you're all here. I recognize some of you may be listening, and I just think you're a terrific family. And I'm honored to have your mom, your wife, your grandmother, who, your, if you just, your relative, your cousin, whoever you're related to Susan on the podcast and the principles she brings to bring hope and healing and peace in her lives. So this is Susan Sitaway and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>